the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum. Good morning, how are you doing? It is half past 11 here on Friday the 21st of February. Welcome to Football Forum here on Shoe Radio. Joe Hadfield is my name, Connor Thorpe is his name. Morning. Morning. Uh, and Josh Chapman is all otherwise engaged this morning, so he's not with us, but he's back next week. This is an hour and a bit of all the latest news and gold concerning the Blade and the Owls, plus a bit of everything else from British and European football as well. So here's what's on the back pages this morning. Royal Rumble at Hillsborough. Wednesday thumped 3-0 in their own backyard by Reading as the Owls' free-fall continues. In the Champions League, Liverpool are Saul losers, or Saul losers. The Reds may be heading for the Premier League immortality, but they face uh, the European exit with a 1-0 defeat at Atletico. And in the Europa League, Neves in doubt. Ruben hits a belter as Diogo scores a whole hotter or jotter goals as we reviewed last night's Europa and Champions League action. In the top stories, there's only one word needed, banned. City are thrown out of European competition for the next two seasons after breaching FFP. And we also turn our attention to the weekend's action as it's back to Birmingham for Monk as Wednesday face their bosses, former side, and United finally back in action against Brighton. And there's another round of unpredictable. It seems Chappers isn't here, and he isn't the winner either, with some more TV games to predict. We are still Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Football Forum. And it's live. Thank you both. Right, we're going to get kick-started, as we always do. Um, because uh, you were off to the pub last night, weren't you? Uh, um, yes, I was, actually. And you fancy a second round, because it's uh, our pub quiz. So the question this week is following a pretty similar theme to what we had last week. Last week, I think we had the championship team uh, promoted with the lowest amount of points. Now I want to know the championship team relegated with the highest amount of points. So tell me the team, the season and the amount of points they got. Uh, it's obviously since the championship started, which I think was the 04-05 season. Right. So in that period of time, which team has been relegated with the highest number of points from that division? Right, so, so go through that one again. Right. So go through the que- go through the question again, just so I understand. You didn't understand? No, I didn't understand first time. Right, no. so right, go on. which team in the, in the championship, since the championship started, yep. has been relegated with the highest number of points? Ah, I see. So relegated to League One. Yeah, with the highest, with the highest of number of points. Yeah. Right, I get you now. So pretty much it's the exact opposite of what I came up with last week. Correct, but I did have it in mind before. Fair enough. Right, so that is the question that, uh, that Connor's looking for, and I got re- right a second time around. We're looking for the team that's got relegated from the championship since it started in 2004 with the highest points tally. So it's finished, I imagine, 22nd with the highest number of points. Uh, answers as ever on a postcard. Uh, you can get in touch with us at Football Forum on Twitter, at Football Forum underscore, I should say, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the show. But we're going to move uh, from uh, from the championship. We're staying in the championship, in fact, because it's a very strange times here on Football Forum. There is no Premier League action this week. Well... None that we have to review anyway, because United had their winter break. Uh, so we'll come to United in a little bit, but we are going to start at Hillsborough. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday first up, and uh, well, <laughs> uh, what a... Uh, oh God, I've just lost my clip. Uh, never mind, I've found it. Uh, yeah, so uh, Wednesday, they're welcoming Reading. Now, I think I remember back, uh, you've played Reading before, haven't you, early on in the season? Yes, and it was a, a fantastic away day to kick off the season, 3-1 victory. 
uh, but, didn't go quite as well. <laughs> Indeed, and we shall find out in the company of Rob O'Neill and John Pearson. 2-0 with 10 men, you suspect it's curtains. Dominic Iortha, and he's given a foul away. Clumsy. Oh, no, I he's don't believe it. He's given a penalty. So it's a penalty for Reading to add to our misery. It's cracked in, and it's scored in just about. He got a hand to it there, did Cameron Dawson. Took the ball up into the goal net, but it has gone over the line, and Reading have made it 3-0 as boos ring around Hillsborough, I'm afraid. Oh, dear. Um, Can you be professional, please? And not <laughs> it um, Sheffield Wednesday there against Reading, and as Chappers isn't here, it's up to me to, uh, to summarise and basically to cut a long story short, Wednesday losing again uh, with their opponents keeping... A clean sheet again. Uh, three nil victors there, and Wednesday going down to ten men uh, with uh, Aragide getting sent off midway through the second half. Uh, Gary Monk obviously he's still under a lot of pressure, um, and that pressure grows from a lot more booing than we we're expecting, uh, rightly so as well. But here's what he had to say after the three nil defeat. Look, we're in a very difficult cycle that we can't seem to snap ourselves or get ourselves out of. Um, I think. There's been results in this period, quite, quite rightly so, we've deserved against us. Um, and there's others that maybe not so much, but there's no doubt about it. We're in a cycle that, of results that isn't good enough and, and strong enough for ourselves. But, um, yeah, so difficult in that sense. And, um, yeah, that's what I can really say about this period that we're in. So, uh, so Gary Monk there after the 3-0 defeat for Sheffield Wednesday against Reading. And, Connor, give us your take on it. Obviously, you said to me beforehand you're not going to rant anymore. But uh, let's, see, uh, let's see what happens this week. Well, yeah, I had a 20-minute rant last week. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that again because why would you want to listen to that? Um, yeah, just frustration because we started the game relatively well in terms of, well, compared to how we have been doing in recent weeks. Uh, we were the team that were attacking a bit more than Reading. We were looking a little bit more dangerous. But then the frustrating thing is how out of shape the team is uh, for their first goal. When Ovi Ajaria picks it up, he's got the freedom of Hillsborough to pick out, <laughs> to pick out a, a lovely pass. And uh, to be fair to Miete, he's took it well. Um, and it's a great pass. But when you play Reading, that's the main danger for them. Ovi Ajaria is such a good player. Very good with his feet. Very good at passing. Very good at dribbling. And uh, he's the man that you want to try and pick up. Don't give him all the space that, you know, that he that he can play with to give him more time to, to pick out a perfect pass. Exactly. That's the frustration. Um, I think the team was so out of shape when that happened. I think Lee and Pelopessi were a bit too deep and then the, the strikers weren't really doing their bit defensively and we got caught out. And that, with the run that we're on, changes the whole game because then you're 1-0 down again. The players are obviously going through a pretty pretty much a crisis in confidence at the minute and we'd actually started the game fairly well uh, but once that happened it, it completely knocked the wind out of our sails um, and then we were back into old habits uh, making the same old mistakes people not showing for the ball um, and yeah it's, it's a mess at the minute and it's going to be a massive test for for Gary Monk's man, uh, man, manager, man management skills because um, I suppose that's the hardest thing to do as a manager when you're in a run of form as we are and the players have lost every little bit of confidence that they've had how do you get yourselves out of it and there's been times in Gary Monk's career where he's gone in bad runs and not been able to get out of them that's the, mm. the concerning thing so uh, 
these next few weeks for him are, are crucial. I'm not going to sit here and say that Monk needs to go because, I, as I talked about last week, I don't think Monk is the biggest problem at Wednesday. I think the the problems are a lot more deep than just changing your manager. So I'd really like for a managerial change not to happen, but if it carries on, it might have to happen. Mm. So uh, this is a really testing time for Monk can he lift the players spirits again can he get them on the winning track it's just one of those where it'll take a win of any sort as they say goes in off someone's backside and you you grind out a 1-0 win to maybe get us back on the right track but yeah worrying times at the minute Mm, it's going to take a lot more though than a a 1-0 off the backside to get uh, to get Wednesday back on track after this horrendous run because let's be fair it's one win in 10 matches now and that's and if you think to the f- run of form you're having just before Christmas, as we keep coming back to, you were third in the championship on Christmas Day, and now one win in ten, you're down in twelfth. I mean, twelfth isn't too bad, considering how tightly congested the championship is, but it's nothing to realistically be that proud about. Well, no. The concerning thing is not not necessarily the league position. As you say, the league position isn't a disaster. What is more concerning is the fact that we've had a very winnable run of games. We've gone to Wigan and lost. We've gone to Barnsley and only just drawn. We've gone to Luton and lost. And to be fair, could have lost by more than than the actual score. So, and then Reading at home is is another winnable game. Millwall, okay, they were on a good run, couldn't beat them. So we we're struggling against teams that are towards the bottom end of the championship. And I know it's a tight division. I know there's not much in between the teams, and it's one of those leagues where. Anyone can beat anyone in a certain week. But when you look round the corner and there's going to be some more difficult games come up, coming up and you naturally expect to pick up less points from those games, then mm. that's the concerning thing. And also, it's the manner in which we've been losing as well, uh, which is concerning. So, yeah, big problems to sort out, I think. But I don't think we can expect a quick fix because these are deep-rooted problems that have been in the club for too long with the way it's run off the pitch and... It's resulted in what we've now got, which mm. is a crisis of form and no real way of of getting out of it quickly because of the off-the-field situation. Exactly. And obviously, the off-the-field situation is one thing, but then you can see there's no confidence in those players. But then, obviously, one of the play- well, one of the examples that sort of, I suppose, one of your beacons of hope that is actually putting in a shift, Urogaday, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, Urogidi. And he gets sent off. Now, I've looked back at the the second yellow. That's definitely a yellow. Yeah. And you you got to think, why would you make that challenge when you know you're already on a yellow? Yeah, I think just a bit of over eagerness. Mm. I think from a young lad, which you can expect. I'm not going to hang him out to dry. Yeah. You know, he's he came in. He had a, a good debut against Brighton, a good second game against Leeds, uh, and then he really struggled against Blackburn, and he really struggled against Reading. So, perhaps he's not ready yet to nail down a starting spot. And listen, he's only 19, so we can't expect him to be of that standard yet. Yeah, um, yeah, frustrating, but a bit of over eagerness. He'll learn and hopefully um, grow stronger as a result of that. Indeed. Uh, so that is Sheffield Wednesday done and dusted. Um, but things are about to take a little bit of a, a twist on uh, on this most unusual show uh, in just a tick. Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum. 
Yes, it's Football Forum. It's 17 minutes to 12 on this Friday morning. Thanks for joining us. Now, usually at this point, this is where we'd uh, we'd come on to Sheffield United, but we're going to pause on that for a second because you may have noticed that, you may see on our Twitter, we have got a special guest and he's with us in the studio this morning, uh, but we haven't introduced him yet. And it's not down to the fact that I forgot to do that in the intro, <laughs> um, but we're going to come on to him uh, and Sheffield United in just a second. There's a very good reason why. Um but now, because our, our regional correspondent is not with us today, it's relying on the deputy regional correspondent, and that is the uh, the form of Connor Thorpe with the local roundup. Well, we're starting uh, at Craven Cottage in West London, where Fulham went up against Barnsley. Barnsley, bottom of the league, and still are bottom of the league, despite a very, very impressive 3-0 victory over third over third place Fulham. Two goals from Corley Woodrow, one a penalty, and a goal from Jacob Brown. A very comfortable win for the Reds. It was their first win in all six, but the Barnsley is still six points off 21st place Stoke. But I think that game and a couple of other results, i.e. Luton winning again, has opened up a bit more of a relegation scrap and Stoke ended up dropping um, three points from a winning position. They lost 4-2 against QPR, so we have now got a bit of a relegation scrap in the Championship. Going down to League One and top of the league, Rotherham, they were held to a 2-2 draw against AFC Wimbledon. Max Sanders put the Dons in front after 30 minutes, but Matt Crooks levelled for the Millers on the hour mark. And Freddie Ladapo scored again in the 81st minute. Rotherham could have been forgiven for thinking they were going home with all three points. But a late penalty from Kwesi Appiah meant that Rotherham dropped points at home for the first time in four games. They are still top, but what a promotion race we've got in League One. If you think it's a good promotion race in the Championship, We've got an even tighter one in League One because the Millers are top, but they're only five points clear of Portsmouth, who are sick. Staying in League One and mid-table Doncaster, although the league table in League One is very weird at the minute because teams have played different amounts of games due to the very Bolton situation, so the Doncaster's position of 11th is probably not too much to read into. Maybe what will be a bit more concerning is the fact they lost 2-1 at Gillingham. Ben Sheaf did give them the lead after 13 minutes, but then the game swung on its head when Fejire Okenabit... Okenabiri, I, I can't pronounce Okenabiri. that name, I'm sorry, um, sent off after 38 minutes um, and then a massive disaster for Cameron John of Doncaster who scored not one but two own goals to complete the turnaround for the Jills um, and that's it, there was, the, there was another game that was meant to take place on Saturday, it was meant to be on BT Sport at 5.20, Yeovil v Chesterfield but it fell victim to Storm Dennis and it was postponed. So that is the local round. I should just say two own goals in the same match. That must be a misery compiler of sorts. But that that's absolutely fantastic. Cheers for that, Connor, for the uh, for this week's local roundup. Now, obviously, now we're going to change things a bit because we are going to come on to Sheffield United with Wednesday being done. But obviously, as you may know, they've had a winter break. This ridiculous thing that the Premier League have introduced. I'm not a fan of it, <laughs> as I know Chris Wilder isn't particularly a fan of. But it could prove dividends for Sheffield United because our special guest this this morning has joined us. He's come over from the start and he's formerly of this parish. He's a an ex uh, grad well, he's a graduate of uh, the journalism course here at Hallam. Danny Hall is with us this morning. Morning, Danny. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, and uh, glad you are as well. Um, so we're going to talk Sheffield United as uh, we've obviously we've not brought you in to talk Wednesday obviously <laughs> probably for Go- the best yeah goodness me um, but we'll start with United obviously we usually talk to all our guests about their career and um, mm-hmm. what we're going to highlight on is the fact you've been covering United now for the staffer for a few years and obviously yep. 
obviously we were at grad talk last week so we uh we heard your journey through uh <laughs> through hallam etc yeah. um <clears throat> so how enjoyable has it been for you for for covering united for the past couple of years for, for the star well it's difficult to really explain how enjoyable it's been i mean if anyone sees the uh you know the league table from the last three years that that would tell you enough but but more than that, it's it's the way that they've gone about it has mm. been unbelievable to watch at times. I mean, the way that the, this season in particular, they've really taken the game to the Premier League when everyone in pre-season saying, oh, you know, they'll be down by Christmas, they'll have five points or whatever. And the way that they've kind of confounded all those um, predictions and all the critics and all that has been has been really good to watch. So it's been... Yeah, it's been, it's been a good journey so far. It's been an unbelievable journey so far. I'm probably underplaying it a little bit there. Uh, and the more, probably the most exciting thing, from my point of view, is that I think there's a there's a long way to go yet. I don't think it's anywhere near its its peak yet. So who knows where it could go? So yeah, exciting times. And you talk about the expectations there of all the pundits saying you know United are going to go straight back down. It was a team that looked like a Championship team that had really overachieved to get to yeah. where it's been. What were your personal expectations? Because a lot of United fans said to me, I think we'll stay up. And I, and, and that wasn't the view that was reflected in the, the national media. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one because I do I do wonder how many of these pre-season predictions were based on the Chef United that these people saw 2006, 2007, the last time in the Premier League. You know, I wonder how many people thought Neil Warnock was still in charge <laughs> this season and they were just going to come and kick it, you know, Bramalay make it an intimidating place and just lump it and see what happens. And it couldn't be further from the truth, you know, as anyone who actually... I think it's a good way to kind of see who has watched Chef United and who hasn't mm. because the people who are saying, you know, you know, long ball team, direct, uh, basic football is one of my favourites. Garth Crooks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, basic football is one of my favourites, and Chris's favourite as well. I think that's one of his. Uh, that's on the wall at Bramall Lane. Um, but yeah, in terms of my pre-season prediction, uh, it wasn't that they'd be challenging for Champions League. I must admit that uh, I don't think anyone in their, <laughs> in their right mind would have thought that, that that would be the case with twelve games to go. Um, I think pre-season I tipped them to finish twelfth, which I thought would be an unbelievable <laughs> success, <laughs> but now looks. <laughs> Not quite as foolish as basic football, but still a long way off. Um, I, I thought, having seen him, having known a little bit under the bonnet, as it was, about what makes them tick, and the manager, I think the manager's worth a good a good few points on top of that as well. I just thought, this is not a team that will just lie down and be beaten week in, week out. Uh, they'll, they'll give it a real go. And at the same time, they've also got some damn good players as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's the other thing that a lot of pundits have been saying, oh, well, you know, they've, they've got a real good team spirit and, you know, they stick together and they fight and all that stuff. And they, they do, but there's also a lot, a lot, lot more than that. I think that also under, undervalues them a little bit when, when people just put, put it all down to team spirit and all that. So, yeah, um, I backed mid t- well, lower mid-table, I would say. And then, you know, obviously, since then I've been proved, thankfully, happily <laughs> wrong. So, yeah. Long may it continue. Indeed, I mean, like we will, we look back at our uh, preseason predictions. You predicted them to finish 18th. I did, and the reason I predicted United to finish 18th, I wasn't writing them off like all these pundits yeah. did because I've seen I've seen United plenty of times in the Championship. I just thought that the squad probably would come up a little bit short, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I think was a, a fair enough thing to think at the time. Yeah. Uh, but obviously they've they've proven everybody wrong massively, uh, yeah. and players have taken to the Premier League a lot better than any of us thought they would that's the thing I mean people looked at the squad pre-season and you look at there was 
virtually no Premier League experience in there whatsoever. The manager has never worked there. None of the staff have ever worked there, or for for a, you know a long period of time. They didn't, by Premier League standards, spend lots of money. By Sheffield United's standards, they spent a hell of a lot of money in terms of splashing twenty million on a striker. But in terms of the Premier League now, that's completely mm. small fry. So, I think at the same time, people at Bramall Lane understood pundits in pre-season saying they'll struggle I think the difference is where either that's an informed opinion in saying like you said you know is the squad strong enough absolutely fair saying you know they play basic football and all that kind of stuff um, not so informed so I think there's a there's almost been a, a change now where everyone in pre-season who predicted them to struggle has now been shown up in some way mm. where I think that it's an interesting one because that would be a, that's a completely valid point yeah. if you have something to to kind of back it up a little exactly. bit. Um, so I completely understand the <laughs> the people digging up. Uh, I think it was a lad on Talksport, uh, Durham, Adrian Durham, yeah. <laughs> saying um, you know they're, they're going to be an embarrassment to the Premier League or something like that, or um, they're going to come down, you know, be worse than Huddersfield signing Championship players and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then at the same time. Like you said, there is a an informed opinion that they struggle, and I don't think anyone has a problem with that. Uh, it just gives them extra motivation, I suppose, to uh, to prove everyone wrong. And prove so far, so good. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I mean, we look at some of the key players because, obviously, as you say, Danny, a lot of this side, well, virtually none of them have had Premier League experience, other than the likes of Billy Sharp on a couple of sub appearances, yeah. bash him a little bit with Blackpool, and then. You look at the likes, well, the star men, we've got to say, John Fleck and yep. that defence, I think. But obviously, Lundstrom with all mm. fantasy uh, fantasy football players. <laughs> but it, Lord Lundstrom, yeah. It's Lord Lundstrom. <laughs> it's the first time we've ever used it on this show, and that's the only time we'll ever use it on this show. <laughs> but this defence, because this is what interests me, how can a, a side that, obviously, as a United fan myself, so I, I've been watching them for God knows how many yeah. years, and you look and you think, the likes that we had, Ryan Flynn playing right back, yep. Jay McEverly, all these under Adkins, yep. and then you've got this piddly little League One club with under Wilder that should should be nowhere near League One, should be much higher than that. They bring in this this six man defence, shall yep. we say, if you like the back five and the keeper, and it just amazes me uh, that they've got the second best defence. In the in the Premier League, only yeah. behind Liverpool, who are running away with everything. So, I I just trying to get into the mentality of for for a lot of people, obviously, who don't really follow United, don't yeah. really understand it as much. How six players, United set up so defensively, but yet are so effective at grinding out results. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's it confounds me at some at some point seeing players like you said before Basham, who. Um, you know, would would you know? You talk about players putting their lives on the line for a mm. club. See it week in, week out. The man would throw anything in front of the ball. Yeah. And then at the same time, you pass it him, and he's ninety yards up the pitch doing stepovers, <laughs> uh, taking on. There was a bit against Man City. I don't know if you saw yeah. that the the <laughs> clip when he's doing stepovers against. I can't remember the different the midfielder was, but then you think this is just. Sometimes in the press box you do generally shake your head and think, what is happening here? <laughs> it's just utter, utter chaos. But it's so good to watch. Mm. And like you say, at the same time, the way that Chris came in, changed the system, sending centre-backs forward and 
the first game we saw it, we thought this is absolutely madness. This, this is madness. Mm. How are they not going to get caught every yeah. every game? And I think everyone knows the system so well. Mm. It, you know, when you when you watch it, it's difficult when you know O'Connell flies up the wing. But if you watch the defenders, everyone kind of moves around in a you know in, in order. Uh, Oliver Norwood sits in, you know, and it kind of it, it just works somehow. Mm. But I think it's not something that you. You know, a club can't just pick that up and try and use it with exactly. their players. You have to have the right people, and I think you mentioned they're having Ryan Flynn at right back and Jamie Kelby left back. It's <laughs> you know, round pegs in round holes exactly. a little bit. You know, he obviously he knew the way he wanted to play. He knew he wanted a left sided centre half who can kick with his left foot, mm. who can get forward, comfortable on the ball. And it sounds so easy. Mm. It sounds so easy. If you want a left side of centre back, get someone who's left footed. Exactly. If you want a centre back who can attack, get someone who's comfortable on the ball. It sounds so obvious. Exactly. But as we've seen, like you say, if you're a Sheffield United fan, as we've seen before, it's not always <laughs> that easy in, in, in principle. So, um, yeah, it's remarkable. Uh, everyone knows their jobs, everyone sticks to their jobs. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a question in a second about key men. <laughs> uh, in the season it's always a question that I get every time anyone talks about Sheffield United who's the key man and you could go through 1 to 11 mm. and pick any one of them and it, people always look at you and think oh there must be someone but that's the beauty of the team it's such a well-oiled sort of machine almost that you know without Ollie Norwood then the defensive record might not be as well you know without the strikers closing down from the front or David McGoldrick chasing back into midfield like a madman and trying to slide tackle people. You know, it's all a kind of. It's just, it sounds like a real bit cliche, but it is a team, a yeah. team effort, and they are, they are a perfect embodiment of, mm-hmm. a, of a team. And you know, you see that day in day out, on and off the pitch. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to see. Indeed, so one cog out of place in the machine could make it collapse. Yeah, and that's well, we, yeah, we saw that with the the biggest one of that was was Paul Coots mm, when yeah, United yeah. came up first season, similar to now, but a, a bit of. I hate the word, but a bit of momentum, mm. a no fear approach, which comes from the manager. You know, they were top. Of, I think they went top of the league in November. Mm. I think it was when they won at Burton. Yeah, uh, Paul Coots broke his leg, which was probably the the biggest loss of all. Yeah, could have been in that team because he made them tick. And with the greatest respect to you know the likes of Lee Evans, John Lundstrom, who came in, who was an unbelievable player. Mm. They weren't that kind of player. They weren't Paul Coots exactly, and that was his biggest. His biggest, not failure, you know, his biggest, the biggest complaint people had about him was that he wasn't Paul Coots. Exactly. And he was put into that role and people expected him to play like that. And I felt a little bit sorry for him, to be honest, because, mm. you know, that's not his strength. You've seen this season, his strengths are getting box to box, unbelievable engine, two feet, good finishing. Uh, and that season, like I said, one cog fell out of place and I think they finished 10th that yeah, season. Yeah, something like that. Which was still an unbelievable effort, exactly. but to go from from top in November with one player injured I think that, that says everything really so yeah it is it's just cogs in the machine and when one falls out of place you see what happens yeah. but. Mm. and we come back to the uh, just coming back quickly to the uh, the previous question about obviously this defence being the second best in the league and all this system of the overlapping centre-backs. We've heard on so many occasions from pundits saying, oh, uh, United, they play these overlapping centre-backs. It's something completely weird, strange. Mm-hmm. But what I don't understand is United have been playing this now ever since Wilder came in. So they've had, best part, three and a half ye- over three and a half years of playing this way. Yeah. So teams obviously know how they play. Yeah. 
but it just baffles me how very few have actually managed to exploit just, it. Yeah, or stop it, mm. <laughs> as you can tell from the results. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because in the Premier League, obviously everything is uh, analysed and talked about massively more than it is in the, in the Football League. And this season, it's like everyone has discovered this tactic. And as you'll probably know from watching Sheffield United, uh, they probably do it less this season than they have at any point exactly. in Wilder's reign. And everyone is suddenly thinking, oh, this is an unbelievable uh, tactical thing. It's been happening for three years. Yeah, You know, they've won, they've won two, <laughs> two promotions with it. And now, what, they're sixth in the Premier League by doing it. And you think that it just arrived yesterday. Exactly. Which does make me laugh. Um, but yeah, in terms, of, in terms of the system, I mean, a, a few players have said it, actually. What teams tended to do in the Championship more than anything was match up with it. Mm. So they thought, right, they play 3-5-2, we'll play 3-5-2, and it'll just nullify everything. Yeah. But no one plays it like them. And that's the advantage, I think. You know, mm. I think they preferred it more than anything when teams did that because they knew, well, this is our system, we play it better than anyone, we know it better than anyone. Mm. So if you want to come and try and play as our own Have game... Have a go, but... Then, yeah. Um, and to be fair, it's probably the biggest compliment that any anyone can play Sheffield United when, you know, teams like... I think Liverpool came to Bramall Lane and played three yeah. at the back, I think, from memory. Um, and obviously, <laughs> it's a little bit different doing it against team, <laughs> against players like yeah, that. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, but I think that plays them a really big compliment. And, you know, there is ways to stop it. You know, they're, they're trying to tweak it all the time. I mean, the biggest, the most enjoyable part of the first two years was watching Mark Duffy mm. in the number 10 role. <laughs> uh, and this, this season, obviously, he's gone. But they've changed that as well, the system, three, yeah. the, to the flat three in midfield. So it's always changing, uh, which I think you've got to do because, you know, there's some unbelievable coaches in this division. Mm. Uh, and that's what I keep hearing as well. People saying, oh, they're going to get found out next year. Everyone knows how they play now. But like you said, there's no coach in the Premier League that's not been watching clips yeah. of the last three seasons. You know, there's no one who turns up on a Bramall Lane and thinks, God, where are these centre-backs going? Exactly. They know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, if they don't, then they don't deserve to be a Premier League manager. So it's one thing, I think, knowing about or knowing what's going to happen. Mm. And uh, I think stopping it is, is another thing entirely. Exactly. It's like Marcelo Bielsa when, uh, when Basham was arriving. Marcelo Bielsa, we know from... Uh, from all his PowerPoint presentations, the amount of anal- analysis he must have done for that, and yet when Basham's scoring that goal against, Le- oh, anyway, anyway, enough. Yeah, for- well, this, this is the beauty of Chris Basham, like I said before. Yeah. I think, you know, I think for all the tactical analysis you can do, I think there's a lot to be said for giving the ball to to someone like Basham and saying, just see what happens. Exactly. Because <laughs> with all the best will in the world, I love Basham. Mm. I think I don't think he knows what's happening yeah. a lot of the time when the ball's at his feet, so <laughs> it must be impossible to mark. <laughs> So we talk about Chris Wilder as a manager. What's he like as a man to work with? You know, you've obviously got a relationship with him now, working for, you, for the yeah. staff for a few years. Yeah, he like? he's no, he's, he's brilliant. To be fair, um, I think it helped. <laughs> it helped his, his perception that he came just straight after Nigel Atkins, uh, who was a completely different character in almost every way. Uh, he's a very interesting bloke. Is probably the best way to describe him, uh, Chris. <laughs> Breath of fresh air completely. I mean, what you see is is what you get, basically. You know, he's an honest, uh, 100% character in every way. Um, demanding, demands every, from everyone. I mean, the way that he has... He basically runs the club 
I would say. You know, he has his fingers in every, so his fingerprints on every kind of part of the club. Um, and the way that he's kind of brought it together is probably his biggest achievement, I would say. You know, apart from, you know, over what he's done on the field, which speaks for itself. But when you look at, which is what I suppose a lot of people don't see, I mean, behind the scenes in the Adkins season was completely fractured. Is how I describe it. It was like different parts of the club working independently. One of Chris's biggest triumphs, I think, was to come in and bring everyone back together again. You know, I don't want to say unite everyone because that sounds like a horrible, <laughs> horrible cliche. But that's what that's what he did. You know, he kind of brought everyone together again. Fans, players. He, he said it before. He said players hated the fans. The fans hated the players. People inside the club didn't get on. Uh, you know, everyone was working kind of for themselves. And he said, "That's not what, that's not what Sheffield United's about." Mm. So he, you know, I think what he's done on the pitch speaks for itself, but also the stuff that he's done for the club as well. You know, I don't think you can, you can pay a high enough compliment for that. Exactly. I mean, let's turn our attention from look like sort of reminisce into looking forward because you said at the start of the season you predicted them twelfth. Yeah, we're sixth now. Yeah, and. With obviously with everything we're going to come on to in a little bit regarding Man City, there is a potential fifth place for Champions League. So yeah. there is pretty much it could be eighth at least. So the the million dollar question basically is where are United finishing after thirty eight games? Well, if I knew the answer to that, <laughs> I'd be at the bookies, not here. <laughs> but I think we would be. <laughs> but no. Um, I just think the fact that it's even it's even a conversation is yeah. absolutely it's just phenomenal. Daft. Yeah. I would hate what I would hate to happen is United finish ninth or something and then oh, anyone see God. this as a failure yeah, of a season. It's not. You know, they've they've kind of set this up for themselves and they've done unbelievably well. Uh, but this is still the Premier League and they've still got some unbelievable teams to play. Yeah. So, you know, ninth would be an unbelievable achievement. Yeah. Uh but Quite rightly, Chris and the players are looking higher than that, mm. and there's no reason they shouldn't do that. That's absolutely the right way to do it. Um, there was a question to to Sander Berger in his first interview where someone said, uh, oh, "You know, do you think you can get the Champions League?" And I th- inside, I felt I, I laughed to myself because <laughs> I thought this is this is ridiculous. And then Sander said yes, and I was like, "This is absolutely <laughs> meant." Like, still remember. Like the South End game in League One, yeah. Where they oh, lost it I was to there. South End. It was horrendous. Yeah, and things like that stick in your mind, and you think that was only what four years ago. Yeah, some stuff like that. And here, someone's asking about Champions League, it's... which is bad enough, and then the players <laughs> saying, "Yes, we can do it," and you think, "What is happening to this club?" Like it just shows how remarkable the rise has been. Um, and like you said, it's almost a kind of perfect. I'll, I think there's similarities in there to when Leicester won the league. Yeah. In terms of they did. Can't take anything away from them. No. But the circumstances around it, I think they, the door kind of opened for them. Yeah. And they forced it through. And I feel, not that United are going to win, the, because I don't think they can win the league now, but that was never... <laughs> I'm not saying that was ever, ever... Uh, there was ever a chance of that. But I just think the stars are almost aligning a little bit in terms of the latest one being the Man the Man City thing. Uh, you know, Spurs, Chelsea going through a bit of a transition, Man U going through transition... Uh, Man City being banned, Liverpool being head and shoulders above everyone else, mm. which has created that kind of gap through everyone else. Uh, and I just think they will never, 
I, I can't ever see there being a better chance mm. to finish in, to play in Europe than this. Um, so I've kind of seen a little bit of a, a split in the fan base where some are saying, oh, you know, uh, would it be the best thing for us to get into Europe? You know, maybe we should give it another year and then try and go for it next year. I just think, for one, that's not how the manager thinks. No. Never a hope in hell is he going to think, oh, well, we'll give it a miss this year and then we'll try <laughs> next year. Um, so I just think, keep the hammer down. 12 games, you know, takes a little bit of pressure off that they are virtually, well, they're, they're, they're safe mm. until they get to that 40 point barrier with how Sheffield United have been in the past. I think people will always be a little bit nervous yeah. <laughs> but it would take an unbelievable turnaround now to be relegated. So that's, the pressure's almost off in, in a way, I suppose. Yeah. You know, nobody ever expected them. And this this could be what Chris is saying to them, you know, no one ever expected us to be in this position. But you've put us here. Mm. You know, now go and give absolutely everything. If we fall short, we fall short. But if we actually somehow get in there, then, you know, the rewards are there for all to see. And it'll it'll change the club for forever getting in the Champions League. It's the, the fact that anyone the fact that I'm talking about it now still baffles <laughs> me, but it'll forever change the club, I think, you know, in terms of Everything global exposure, attracting players, keeping players, uh, just putting the club on the map, really. And it's the next kind of logical step for him. But yeah, I never thought it would quite be this quick. It is. It's honestly, I think we've been covering this now. We've been covering United, what, for 14, 15 months, if that. And the transition we've had, because I, I remember we've covered, we've covered one Steel City derby, but we've covered the whole of last season, well, the majority of last season in yeah. terms of the... Uh, the leads and all that and you, you just think we're sat here now and we're talking about as you say we're talking about Sheffield United that are 12 games away from potentially Champions League football it's, it's, it is daft in the words of Messer Chapman it is yeah. absolutely daft yeah I agree with that <laughs> but I think um, obviously because we're not going to preview the game yet upcoming we're going to leave that till the end of the show but uh, for now huge thank you to Danny Hall for, uh, for joining us uh, this morning Pleasure. Oh, this Thank afternoon you. now. <laughs> Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum. This is Football Forum here on Shoe Radio. Uh, thanks for your company on this Friday afternoon. So um, we are going to move on now because obviously uh, we've done United and Wednesday. And we've done all the local uh, the local stuff for the week. But now, after two months of waiting, and it's finally back, that famous old tune. Yes, it is the Champions League, and the round of 16 first legs started on Tuesday night. But we're going to start on Wednesday night, because, um, well, Spurs, despite Hugo Lloris getting man of the match, they they slipped to a 1-0 defeat against RB Leipzig, just a penalty. But let's be fair, when you've got no Harry Kane, you've got no Hummin Son, and even though Lucas Moura did brilliantly last season with all his late goals and everything, Spurs, realistically, they were always going to struggle. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> Leipzig are obviously a fantastic side. They've had a great season. And Spurs, I think, really, you can tell that they've got the, you know, Son and, and Kane are injured. And it didn't really make sense because you've got Deli Alley playing up front or Lucas Moura. And, you know, they were just going long up to him. And. I don't think that's the, going to be the best way to approach it. Um, I know Mourinho's not renowned for playing beautiful uh, sort of attacking football and, and getting it down and playing that much, but 
certainly they're going to have to re, they're going to have to look at how they're approaching games now because they haven't got somebody who you can call a striker unless you're going to play Troy Parrott. Mourinho said himself he's not quite ready. So uh, yeah, big big problems there for Spurs. Um, Lucas Moura hasn't had a great season. He's more effective on the right. So the best option might even be to play Deli Alley as sort of a false nine and and go without a striker. I'm not really too sure how they do it. Uh, it's it's going to be testing uh, for them. And yeah, Red Bull Leipzig. You know they've got a, f- a fantastic team. Um, I think Spurs were a bit worried about Timo Werner as well. I think that doesn't help when you've got a striker who's as good at running off the shoulder as Timo Werner is. Your whole team sort of drops back because you don't want to get caught in behind. Uh, but they still got caught in behind a few times. And Red Bull Leipzig were, or Leipzig, however you pronounce it, were the the much better side. Could have got a couple more goals than that. Um, and Spurs, in some ways, will be quite grateful that they're only going to the second leg with a one nil. Uh, uh, lead to try and overturn they did it last season so I'm sure they'll try and summon the spirit of uh, Amsterdam uh, but I can't see I can't see how they're going to come back into that one Exactly, it is a bit of a worrying time for Spurs obviously with the striker uh, striker loss but moving from Wednesday we go on to Tuesday night because uh, well Liverpool oh, this was this, this injected into my veins Liverpool finally have lost a game for the first time in quite a while uh, for quite a while and it came at the hands of, um, well, how shall we put this? I think the dark arts is probably the best terminology. <laughs> I mean, there is another word involving the word house, but uh, we won't go there. But yeah, Liverpool losing 1-0 to Saul and Atletico. And Danny, what went wrong for Liverpool, really? I think they were just simeone pretty much It was, you know... You need to coin that phrase, I reckon. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've... I've don't follow them too closely, obviously, Atletico, but I've read a few reports that they have tried to uh, change their style a little bit and go away from the uh, outhousing that you mentioned before. Uh, and then I think, from what I've read as well, that they kind of returned to it for this game. Uh, and I just love watching him on the touchline, like getting involved and getting the, the crowd up and everything like that, because... Uh, I'm not sure how Jurgen Klopp reacted to that, but I just think that's exactly something that he'd do exactly the same. Yeah. You know, in the second mm-hmm. leg, um, you know, for a team like Atletico to get everything on their everyone on their side and do everything they can to, to you know, to get the win. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, unbelievable team, uh, and it'll be uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting interesting second leg. I think <laughs> you know the, the volume Anfield might have just been cranked up a few. A few notches after that first that first leg, uh, I think it could be another. You know, people talk about these European nights at Anfield <laughs> uh, and the atmosphere will get going. I think, um, which it needs to, because I was a bit disappointed at Anfield with the mm. with the atmosphere in the Premier League. But maybe they thought it's little old Sheffield United, so <laughs> we'll, we'll just have to turn up and win. But when they get going, I think they, they do really get behind the team, and they might have to. So I think that'll be a, a cracker of a, a cracker of a second leg. But you can, obviously, like you said, you can never. Never write them off because you know the way they've been playing. This they, they don't. I don't think they know how to think about forgotten how to lose. So I don't think that'll have gone down well with the manager uh, or any of the players. So there might be a little bit of a reaction there. I think so. Mm. Yeah, it should be a good game. Indeed. And um, Connor, obviously, as we say, Atletico involving in the dark arts, the outhousing. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe for those that that aren't familiar with the phrase. Uh, 
what is it that Atletico do? Because I remember when they played, did it against Arsenal uh, a few years back in the Europa League semis. What is it that Atletico do? Uh, it's quite sort of traditional, really. Uh, two banks of four, um, <laughs> being very, very hard to break down. Every man knowing their task, every man concentrating so much on, on how they defend, putting in tackles, like you said, like you two said, the dark arts, they're pretty good at the, the sort of tactical fouls that, that even Man City are renowned for. So, um, and just stopping Liverpool really from getting any sort of rhythm. I think that's the I think that's the second time Liverpool haven't had a shot on target in a game under Jurgen Klopp. So that dates back quite a few years as well. Um, and, you know, to, to stop a team having a shot on target like Liverpool it, this season, it's completely unprecedented. Do you imagine how you'd have to beat Liverpool? You'd imagine that you'd need a lot of luck on your side. You'd imagine that your keeper would have to have a great game. You'd imagine that they'd have to miss a lot of chances. And Liverpool absolutely dominated possession. There's no doubt about that. But they never really cut through Atletico like yeah. you'd be able to in in the vast majority of Premier League games that they face. Um, they sat quite narrow. Uh, and the, you know, on another day, maybe Liverpool's fullbacks probably might have exploited that. They got space down in wide areas but the delivery from Robertson and Alexander-Arnold unusually wasn't there so um, not a great night for Liverpool but it's, it's like you say the second one's going to be very interesting because if they can come back 3-0 against Barcelona last season you can imagine that they'll be, they'll believe they can come back against Atletico but Atletico were a really tough nut to break down mm. like you say they have tried to move away from the style of play from what I've seen and from what I've read so there's no doubt how they'll approach that game. I imagine they'll do the same thing when they go to Liverpool and it's very difficult to break down because Simeone is a master of setting his teams up mm. being difficult to break down. So that'll be a very interesting game. Indeed. We look at the other two uh, the other two Champions League ties. As on this show, we're all encompassing. We cover all, all the games. Uh, Dortmund 2, PSG 1. That was a... It's set up to be a cracker and it was a cracker in fact because... This Harland bloke—I don't know if that's the pronunciation, correct pronunciation. Yeah. Um, obviously, did wonders for Salzburg this year. Now he's gone to Dortmund, and I think he scored something like ten goals in some very few minutes. It's, it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous, Danny. And uh, obviously, we we look at how good PSG have been, but I think the problem with PSG is they're going through one of these runs where I think they've got too many options but obviously you've got this Neymar figure yeah. who this is Neymar figure. this Neymar but it, it, <laughs> there's there's one uh, a lot of these high profile clubs where it's like Ronaldo for example yeah. at Juventus it's a lot of people know that follow the team because of the player yeah too um, many chiefs exactly yeah <laughs> almost yeah just going back to Haaland I think it was the stat that he won the player of the month yeah, in, about the 50, in about six, in about an hour yeah. in about an hour because he came <laughs> off the bench and scored a stupid amount of goals I mean what a start he's had mm. I mean I'm not so sure about the the start about his uh, breaking the world record for the sprint if you saw that <laughs> well, his, his it, 60 metre sprint it was very quick it I'm, was I'm it's quicker sure. than me but uh, <laughs> <laughs> not sure if I'm a standing start I think it's a little bit different a little bit different but like you said another Another game that should be really set up for a, a cracking second leg because you know you look at the players in oh, yeah. in PSG's team and I suppose you can never ever write teams like that off. But you know, um, the away goal I suppose probably 
helps a little bit. Indeed, uh, and see see how that see how that comes pans out. Exactly. I, I don't think there's anything more in, in the last few years, especially. It seems to have just gone to a whole new level in terms of excitement in the second leg of yeah. Champions League games. These comebacks. You think of Liverpool last season, a few years ago, Barcelona came back against from, PSG six. Uh, yeah. It, something ridiculous. Yeah. I can't quite remember what the score was, but four. It was four four nil. Yeah, four yeah, nil, yeah. and they won six one. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean. I'm very excited for these second legs because this, I think it's probably the most exciting games of football that you get at the minute. Mm. It, it was honestly brilliant. I was going to say uh, PSG, yeah, they, they've always got a chance of a comeback unless they're managed by Unai Emery uh, and against Barcelona, which in that case, no chance. But uh, Atalanta, well, I suppose you could call them the Sheffield United of the Champions League <laughs> this season, whereas next season it'll be the Sheffield United, Sheffield United of the Champions League. Or Getafe. Well, Hatafe, they are in the Europa League, yeah, because, well, you look at Atalanta, 4-1 victors over Valencia. Um, I think they were 4-0 they were up apart from that penalty, so it's unbelievable. But we are seeing a lot of these, a lot more of these uh, littler clubs, as shall we say, like the Hetafe, the Atalanta, the United. It's, it's staggering, but uh, from the Champions League, we're going to drop down a tier now because obviously it's a Friday, so we can review it. Uh, it's the second tier of European football. Yes, the Europa League and the, uh, the, the tune that you seem to not prefer... I, I saw it on Twitter the other day. You uh, you prefer the uh, the Euro qualifying over there. Yeah, it's a great theme. <laughs> you probably won't know it, but it's a great great theme. We, we've had it quite a bit on this program, haven't we? Uh, a couple of times, yeah. yeah. But it's um, underrated, but... very underrated. <laughs> is it as good as the Champions League one? That's the question. Because well, is... I don't even think the Champions League one is the best. Do you know what? Do you not? Well, the Champions League of is so iconic. Yeah, that's... I don't think it's an amazing song, but nah, it's just yeah. so it's iconic. Just it's just iconic. It brings back all the memories and all the exactly. I can't wait to hear it around Bramley next season. <laughs> <laughs> this is this, this is what we've been waiting fifteen no. months for. I can't wait for you to finish tenth. <laughs> it, it was it was brilliant last season because I remember. I know we're going so off topic here, but last season the lead when when we, the final weekend, well, the weekend that we got promoted when Leeds played Villa, mm. and I remember because i've still got a still shot from that day from that recording when uh when leads when click went on and scored that controversial goal you were up here like giving it all that what here yeah I, in I, this studio i was on a train when that happened oh you mean oh, when sorry. we reviewed it yeah, that yeah, show yeah, yeah oh it was absolutely brilliant but <laughs> yeah, uh fingers crossed series three united reviewing champions league football we'll see <laughs> well you're doing championship but uh if we're lucky if you're lucky it could be league <laughs> one <laughs> but anyway off topic back on topic europa league the round of 32 um Club Bruges won, Man United won. Storm uh, Martial rescuing from Dennis and Storm Dennis. Um, so 1-1 one, one there. Uh, Copenhagen won, Celtic won. Uh, then we get on to Lacazette, who after that goal at the weekend, so good to see him scoring again. And then he goes and sticks in another one against Olympiacos. So Arsenal 1-0 up there into the second leg. Rangers, they uh, this is Hadji. Now, <laughs> this is the relation of, the, yes. uh, of Georgie. And uh, honestly, Rangers need to make sure they can keep hold of him because he got an, a brace last night. Uh, 3-2 win over Sporting Braga. And Wolves, we have to come on to Wolves because that goal, we've been watching it previously. And uh, I even got a message back from the uh, the commentator, Adam Summerton, last night because I it, it was unbelievable. That kind of goal that is... The only thing I can recollect is Yeboah. 
Well, I can recollect a lot of goals from Ruben Neves that are just as good. Well, really, to be he's, fair, he scores that many. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't score tapping. Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw a stat. I think he scored. I might be wrong. I think it's like eight goals, and they're all outside I the box. I think it's something like eight goals, and they're all outside the box, and three penalties. And it, <laughs> And I don't That's think he, he doesn't like going in the box. <laughs> he doesn't you can like under, the you box. can understand why, because you need someone on the edge of the box if possession <laughs> changes hands or anything to break it up, or if it comes out to have a shot. And, well, and Ruben Neves is very good in the art of doing that. There's just outside the box, then there's 30 yards on the chest, on the knee, and absolutely thunk it into the back of the net. I'm, I'm going gonna, gonna to be a bit controversial. It's a great goal, great technique. Keeper should do should do better. I think it's, oh, a, it's a good eye for him. What we I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen more unstoppable goals from him. Put it that way. Yeah, including one against Sheffield United. Yeah, uh, let's not go. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> one against Wednesday as well, where it came on the edge of the box and he just side footed it so nicely into that bottom corner. <laughs> just didn't expect it. And yeah, great goal. Not that I enjoyed it. But. Yeah, there's a debate about whether he's the best player to have played in the championship. Adele Tarat for me. Adele Tarat, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's got to be up. There. It's got to be up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I don't know. I've I've not followed too much championship because all I've done is follow League One for the last few years. Yeah. Good um, point. <laughs> but no, this is the thing because we've got five British clubs now in the Europa League, and let's be fair. Obviously, Man United. Well, as we, we originally up until about went uh, up until last week's show, we thought right, Manchester United are probably not going to get next season European football. Arsenal not. Uh, Wolves possibly. And then, all after what we're going to come on to in a minute, now all of them, realistically, have got another good chance of going into Europe. But I'd say, I'd probably say Wolves are in, in the driving seat with these. Well, to be Espanyol, uh, but Espanyol <laughs> are bottom of La Liga, so you'd expect ah. it's, it's a game you'd expect Wolves to win. I'm they've not done, trying to. They've done a Burnley then, have they? Got European football then the season after they've gone right back down. Well, no, because Wolves are. Oh, you're talking about the league. Wolves yeah. are in a great position, obviously, to get to get Europe again, and I'm I'm confident they will. Depending on how long this European Europa League run goes on for, the thing with Wolves is they've got a small squad mm. that they don't really rotate that much for many competitions. Apart from the League Cup, they didn't take that seriously. They took the FA Cup seriously. They've taken the Europa League seriously all the way through. You do worry if you're a Wolves fan that they might run out of steam towards the end of the season particularly mm. now they will be Espanyol um, that's as good as done I know there's been great Champions League comebacks <laughs> and I'm sure there has been great Europa League comebacks as well that's just the nature of these ties but I can't see Wolves losing by more than four against the bottom of the league in Spain um, so then that that draws them another tie and I think you two as United fans maybe look at this and think this is a great chance for United because you've got Man United who will probably beat Club Bruges at home, get to the next round. Uh, Spurs will probably be out, but then you've got Wolves who will probably go through. You've got Arsenal who will probably go through. All these teams will be playing Europa League football as well as trying to secure European com- uh, qualification for next yeah. season. Mm. And to be fair, why why work so hard for European qualification and then not take it seriously when you're there? Mm, so yeah. I'm sure they'll all be gunning to try and win the Europa League. That was the thing watching Spurs as well, thinking, what's the best result here for Sheffield United? <laughs> and again, that is absolutely bizarre. But you know, like you said before, you know, their injury problems, you know, trying to find a way through that and work out what's the best way to go. Um, you know, give them as many games as possible, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. You know, see how, see how they, you know, how deep the squad is. Uh, Jose doesn't seem to trust Troy Parrott from what I can see mm. uh, I mean his, his record with young players is probably not the best mm. in, in general so you know he's got to find a way through that give him as many games as possible 
and see how see how they cope with it. Indeed. Uh, so that's all the European action done, uh, but we are going to stick with Europe now as we move on to the top stories in just a second. Joseph, Josh, and Connor. This is Football Forum only on Shoe Radio. It's 27 minutes past 12 on this Friday afternoon. You are tuned to Football Forum as ever. Thanks for joining us. So we're moving into the top stories and there is only one this week, which is a surprise, but that's because there's only one thing that's been dominating the headlines all week. Manchester City have been banned from European competition for the next two seasons by UEFA. This is all to do with the financial fair play and... This is basic. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I don't know what happened then, but basically, this has opened the door now for Sheffield United. This is why we're talking about it so much because Sheffield United, realistically, because Man City are going to probably finish in the top seven, and they might even and they'll probably win the Carabao Cup next week. So all they need to do, United, is finish eighth for the Europa League and fifth for the Champions League, which is daft. But proceed, from that, proceed with caution because Man City are going to appeal at the Court of Arbitration for Sport and I imagine they've got good lawyers. So. They've got the best lawyers in the country, they were saying. I've been reading. Mm. The only issue is, I was reading, I think it was Simon Stone who's been covering it for the BBC and the problem is there's certain points of the, like the ban, like the reasons behind the ban and on some you look at it and you think, like, like for example, UEFA they have made this decision through an independent panel, but it was decided by UEFA. Mm. Do you know what I mean? UEFA have picked the independent panel, which is a oh, bit yeah. questionable. Yeah. But then you look at other things and it's like, on on some aspects, basically, on some aspects, Man City, fair enough, they've been, it's, it's a bit in, of an injustice. But on some, you look at what's happened and you think, yeah, Man City, they, they do deserve some form of punishment well, for it. If they have cheated and the the appeal gets thrown out, um, then yeah, they deserve what they get. It's cheating. Uh, they were on about taking the titles off them. I don't know if that's a bit far. But, I think that's uh, a bit far. Yeah, but it's cheating. There's no other way about. You can you can say it. Uh, and if you know what it's to do with the sponsorship, hasn't it? And the way they yeah. sort of lied about that, then I think they deserve what they get. If if it if the if the if the appeal doesn't go through, it's all sort of legal stuff that we aren't really too sure about. It mm. in some ways it it reminds me a bit of thinking about the Wednesday case, thinking about the Derby case as well with the with the independent panel and not really yeah. knowing what's going on behind the scenes, the sort of legal stuff uh, that we we're not experts in by any stretch of the imagination. So it's kind of one of those that you'll have to wait and see what happens. Exactly, and the the main talking point because obviously they've got this ban and what have you. But the main issue is, obviously, Guardiola said he's staying at City. His contract runs out uh, summer 20, 2021, and that's sort of in the middle, basically, of the two seasons that they're, they're supposedly banned from. But the problem is, Danny, is Man City are second now. They've got this Carabao Cup coming up. They're still in the Champions League this season. They're still in uh, the FA Cup. But realistically, where does City go? Because... There's no point, realistically, if they are banned, mm-hmm. there's no point going, if they do win competitions like the league and they win trophies, yeah. it's silverware, but there's no European gain from it. Yeah, I think it changes the landscape there completely, which is, you know, they're no stranger to that over the last few years mm. in terms of all the money that's coming in. I just think, you know, when you enter a competition, you 
abide by the rules of that competition. Exactly. And then if you don't, you know, what do you expect to happen? Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I wonder if, you know, then does it, can it almost um, galvanise a club? Um, I mean, th- this season, forget this, this is this is game over yeah. uh, as far as this season's concerned. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think you can underestimate the, the lure of winning a trophy, uh, even if it doesn't come with European... Uh, comp- you know, European qualification at the end of it, and you know, does it make them a bit of a a wounded animal almost, where they say, you know, kind of pull together and say, you know, the world's against us, you know, Pep's, you know, Pep's, it's not, it's not for me to tell Pep how to, how to manage his club because <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's done a fair bit as a himself, uh, but you know, does that, does he go the other way and say, you know, uh, everyone's against us, let's kind of forge a kind of siege mentality almost of saying, you know. You know we can't get into that squad there next season and give, you know, because don't think, don't don't forget if they don't get in the Champions League, that's another competition down for them. Mm. You know they can almost focus on the Premier League and just kind of put all the all the focus into that. Uh, will it, you know, make them even more dangerous? I don't know, but it's a big, you know, it's a huge, huge decision. Not only for obviously we've looked at it through a Sheffield United perspective because that's you know that's our our bread and butter but mm. I think for football as a whole it's a really huge yeah. kind of signal that you know uh, you have been clubs have been taking the mick a little bit uh, with FFP and that kind of thing I think PSG have skirted quite close haven't they and yeah. other clubs must be must be so close to that to that line if not already going over it uh, and I think it's a little bit of a statement from them to say this is enough now you know we've put these rules in, in place for a reason uh, it's for you, yeah. you know. It's, it's to make sure clubs don't go to the wall at the end of the day, which mm. I know that's unlikely to happen for PSG and City and that, those kind of clubs. But it's there for a reason. These are the rules. You know, when you enter our competitions, you agree to abide by them. Yeah. And if you don't, then you know what are you going to do? You're not just going to say, "Oh, never mind, lads. Come back next season and give it another go." You're going to say, "No, enough's enough." You know, here's your punishment, and you're going to have to suck it up. So, yeah, it's a big. For football as a whole, it's a big story, but obviously locally for mm. for Sheffield United as well, it's it's huge. I don't think anyone at the start of the season thought that this would have any ramifications <laughs> for Sheffield United, but this is where we are. So, yeah, hopefully, the, hopefully, obviously, being biased, the the ban gets up, upheld <laughs> and it gives another chance because obviously everyone's looking at that fifth place now, but obviously it opens up a place lower for Europe. Obviously, if mm. like you said, they're expected to win the Carabao Cup, that opens up another. Top fourteen wins the FA Cup. That's another spot. Exactly. And you just think, you know, you're probably never going to get a chance like this again to no. to qualify. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Exactly. And I mean, we you were saying Connor earlier. Obviously, there's a possibility that City might have trophies nicked off them and everything. And there was another thing because there is potential because I think it's the Premier League's rules on FFP mirror the ones with UEFA. And I think even the Football League as well. So there was word going round that City could even be relegated to League Two next season. But if you think it wouldn't, it's not actually a ridiculous idea because we look this season, obviously, I know this is going off football to a stupid sport in rugby, but <laughs> I can proudly say that on this show. But obviously, Saracens, they've suffered with the obviously all the financial side of things they've been hugely they've been relegated basically so maybe this is a sort of similar thing yeah but it's a completely different rule making body rugby yeah. football UEFA <laughs> I don't know what the the 
uh, governing body is of rugby. Who cares? Let's be but, fair. Uh, <laughs> it's similar ish in ways, but it's completely different organisation that's deciding the punishment. So I don't really think you can draw too many comparisons. Mm, fair enough, but it could potential for a uh, for a Manchester derby next year of Salford City against <laughs> Manchester City. Anyway, that's all the top stories. Our attention is back to the previews for Wednesday and United next. Joseph, Josh and Connor. This is Football Forum only on Shoe Radio. 25 to 1 Football Forum is the place for for all the football reaction and action every single week. And we're going to get to the action because we're going to start with Wednesday. We will start with Wednesday. Um, You're off to Birmingham. Gary Monk's former uh, stomping ground, shall we say, managed there uh, towards the end of last season. And uh, almost... All last season. All last season. And almost cost us... uh, promotion oh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, let's not go there um obviously wednesday we've said one win in 10 you need a win you need goals first of all and you need to stop letting him in at the back yep <laughs> so the question is what does monk do <laughs> what does monk, no pressure uh, i mean if i knew then i'd probably be managing the club um <laughs> just imagine connor thorpe managing sheffield wednesday to be fair though that's the thing it sounds daft but obviously, we see like Wilder. He's a United fan, and he's managing United. Yeah, but he's a former professional footballer who managed Halifax and Oxford and Northampton before. I don't think my career's going to yeah. take that. Really. You'd have to earn, you'd have to earn your stripes. Yeah, so. you do. it's <laughs> not like yeah. he's, he's just someone that picked uh, it from Kevin the cop. Mc- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Although you, you would think so with some with some how some pundits go on about. Wednesday <laughs> could do with a Wednesday fan in charge. Not saying Monk. No, nah, I don't buy to that. Go, but I don't buy that. But anyway, anyway um, yeah, I don't think it's quite as simple. Oh, sorry, I'm jumping in. Yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> I think. You know, people kind of look at that and say, oh, he's a United fan, so I think that, that gives him the edge. I think he's got a lot more behind him very, as well. He's also a very, very good exactly. manager. Yeah, yeah, and he's done his, his, he's done his homework and everything, yeah, so he's done exactly. his, um, his, his stripes. Mm. Yeah, uh, what does Monk do? I think there's been a little bit too much chopping and changing in the last game, so he's got to try and pick a lineup and stick to it, pick a system and stick to it, uh, because the chopping and changing hasn't really been beneficial in the last few games. Uh Sorry, I forgot about this. We're going to hear from Gary Monk now, seeing what he's going to do. Well, of course, they're, they're going to favourites, and you know, I think um, you know, having analysed them, it's, you know, it's really clear they've gone back to that counter-attacking um, style of play. And I know with the players that they have there, that's how big a strength that is for them, how difficult that is to play, and how dangerous they can be with that. And, um, and that's obviously coincided with the with the good run of form that they're in. So I understand that, and it's about preparing my team how we can try and combat that and, and put ourselves in a position where we can be effective in the game and, and get ourselves the result that we want. So, um, yeah, that's what we've been working on this week and that's how, if I'm honest, that's my, my only focus. Yep, Gary Monk there. Sorry, I completely forgot that we'd, <laughs> uh, we'd got the clip uh, before just bringing him in pretty badly. But, um, yeah, I think, like he says, going there about going back to counter-attacking football, when I when Birmingham came to Willsborough, they, were, they played 4-2-3-1 and they tried to crowd out the midfield a bit more uh, watched them recently at Bristol City watched them at Barnsley as well they've gone to a four four two with Bellingham playing out wide instead of through the middle uh, and I think their fortunes have been transformed by Scott Hogan signing he's scored three and four but not only has he scored three and four they've gone to a sort of big man little man combination the classic yeah. and Jukovic and Hogan seem to just be such a, a natural partnership at this level 
um, where you know Jukovic will win all the headers and Hogan will stretch the defence with his with his pace and movement, um, which he still has not maybe as much as what he did have at Brentford. Uh, he's picked up his injuries, hasn't he? But he's still a real threat. Mm. Uh, I know they're sweating on his fitness a bit, so if he's unavailable for the weekend, I honestly could see it being a, a very different game because I just think that partnership works so well. Um, but I think Pep Clotet said that he was confident that he would probably just be fit. But with Hogan, you need to be a bit careful because of his injury record in the past. So having said that, I still think Birmingham will win. I can't see how... I can't see where the next win's coming from. That's not to say that we're not going to win for the rest of the season. It'll probably come at an unexpected time. But at the minute, I can't see where a win's coming from. The players look so shattered in confidence <laughs> and uh, yeah it's a bit of a miserable time at the minute so uh, I'll go 2-0 to Birmingham You're, ah yes we are, uh, we've got to do the uh, the predictions and for some reason that's not <laughs> coming up on mine never mind uh, right so uh, yes unpredictable we'll come on to that a little bit later on but predictions so you've said 2-0 have you Connor yeah uh, well, let's just find where they are do you know where Birmingham are in the league by any chance uh, they are they're 14, 14th, so it's quite unbeaten, close. Oh, but unbeaten in seven. Uh, they've gone on a very good run uh, recently. So Unbeaten in seven, yeah. and you're on the same... In fact, you've got the exact same record. 12 wins, 8 draws, 13 losses. <laughs> and it says a lot, because Birmingham have only scored one more goal than you have all season, but they've let a lot more in. So we, we know Wednesday have been saying... Um, like how many goals you've been letting in and what have you I think it's the fact that how many you've let in in such a short yeah, space of time up to that point we had the I think it was the second best defence in the league behind Leeds or Brentford or third best so we were once upon a time good defensively but that's mm. gone out of the window now <laughs> it's gone out of the window Um in terms of score prediction Danny what are you thinking for Birmingham Wednesday I've gone for I think the Owls will pick up a battling draw away at St Andrews. I think I think they'll get a one-one to stop the stop the rot a little bit. A one-one, uh, yeah, a one-one. Oh, very nice. Uh, Danny Hall, uh, Sheffield United writer for the Star, is back. Is <laughs> you back don't want any Sheffield stick from Wednesday fans, does he? Bless that him. might be it. To be fair, uh, Wednesday fans can send all the stick in my direction because I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say two-one uh, to uh, two-one to Birmingham, uh, and you said two-nil, didn't you, Connor? Uh, so I'm going. Yeah, I'm going two-one Birmingham because I, I, I keep saying Wednesday are going to score. Well, I, I said Wednesday are going to win and they lost. I said Wednesday are going to draw. They lost. Now I'm saying Wednesday are going to score. So let's see what happens. Um, so two-one for me uh, to Birmingham. Yeah, I just can't see Wednesday winning at all. Um, so that is Wednesday. Now we're going to move on to United because we've been waiting a while. But United are finally back in league action yeah. and for the first time in. I think it's 10 months. I'm actually going to a United League game. That's that's Shocking. financial reasons. <laughs> I cannot... Did Chappers offer you his season ticket the other week and you said no? He did, but oh. did you see the weather the other week? Oh, I... come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going there. <laughs> but, well, it wasn't due to the fact. It's the fact that I woke up late, so I wasn't bothered anyway. And to be fair, he ended up going, didn't he? He ended up going. He did, but that's so, not the point. Anyway, <laughs> uh, United up against Brighton. I'll be down there in the uh, very front row, uh, right by the corner flag, so that'll be interesting. Uh, but that's what you get if you're not a, a season ticket holder, um, which I couldn't even get. But anyway, uh, United against Brighton. Obviously, we're not going to say that it's, it's a given that this is going to be a three points. And Wilder actually says that because we've got some uh, some words from the uh, from God, I think is the right <laughs> terminology. You know, from our point of view, we have to be careful from a supporter's point of view that they're not looking at a table now and looking at 
our position and looking at Brighton's position, this is as tough as it gets. They've dominated possession in the majority of games against teams that are really established in the Premier League. The Liverpools, the Man Cities, the Man United, the Arsenal's, the Tottenham's, the Spurs, uh, the, the Tottenham's, the Chelsea's that are coming up, you know, obviously are going to whet the appetite of our supporters, but this should be just as big. And, um, you know, we're just going to come in today and uh, and, and it's, a, it's a guarantee three points. These these tests are uh, hugely difficult and uh, and this one is uh, is going to be right up there. God there with uh, with his pre-match thoughts ahead of the Brighton game, Chris Wilder and uh, Danny. Obviously, you're going to be there Saturday afternoon, yep. about about twenty five rows above me um, <laughs> on the south stand. But yep. as we said, Brighton, it's not it's not a confirmed three points. No, it was only a one nil back in December, or arguably it should have been about three nil. Mm-hmm. But United have just got to keep doing what they're doing, turning up but not uh, only starting after 20 minutes as we saw against Bournemouth. Yeah, it was a it was a strange one, that, wasn't it? Um, they didn't quite get going. They just didn't quite, uh, you, know, play the, you know, play the way that they... We've seen them play, really. Mm. I think Bournemouth, to be fair, deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, it seems like forever ago now, though, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> that game, I'm trying to think about <laughs> Trying to jog the memory for it a little bit. Uh, but yeah, like you said, the game at their place was, was quite tight. Uh, a couple of goals rolled out by VAR, which I'm delighted we're not talking about today because <laughs> that could fill an entire yeah we ha- entire we, episode. I think we left that to Keith Hackett back in December. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, <laughs> probably for the best. Um, but yeah, tight game down there. Uh, Brighton, established Premier League team now, and like Chris says, you know, it it'd be a shame to see uh, you know a large section of United fans thinking this mm. is a just got to turn up and and earn three points, which you know United will go into its favourites, but. Um, you know, I, st- I still think at this level they have to, they can't just, uh, they have to, you know, be at their close to their best. Exactly. If not at their best to, to win games, because you know we've seen even the um, teams lower down the table without meaning to sound disrespectful, have still got unbelievable players, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unbelievable athletes, and you know have been in this division a lot longer than Sheffield United have. So I think to get anything they'll have to be close to their best, if not bang at it. Uh, but if they are, then you know at Bramall Lane in front of a crowd, who's willing them on? Uh, I think that they should probably take all three points. And I imagine you are backing United for I the am. victory. I am. I've got to really, haven't I? But, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I am at home. Uh, I've gone for a two-nil home win. Two-nil home yeah. win. Fantastic that clean, stuff. That, that, that defensive record will continue, I think, and uh, yeah, get a couple of goals. Happy days. Good. So yeah, happy days indeed, uh, Connor. Your thoughts on this one, what we're saying? Uh, yeah, I agree with Danny. The 2-0 sounds like the most sensible result for me. Uh, United probably won't have much as much possession in this game as a lot of people might think, as Chris Wilder said there. Brighton do tend to go to teams and dominate possession, but don't always get a result out of it. You fancy United to win. I don't think. I think United struggle more against teams that are going to come and sit behind the ball, yep. and I can't see Brighton doing that. I don't. They're not that sort of team, so they will leave spaces for United to exploit, and I think they'll win it fairly comfortably. Two nil. You're going for a two nil as well, and you know what? Usually, because you're good at predictions and I'm not. I'm not though, am I? I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to back you. I'm going to join you. I'm going to make a hat trick of two nils to the Blades. United in sixth, as we all know by now, as it's been ringing in our ears for the last uh, for the last 10 days. Brighton, meanwhile, they're down in 15th. 
But as we say, the Premier League is so tight, anything can change. Uh, so that uh, those games are still to come on this weekend. And there's plenty more still to come next week as well. That mountain that they need to climb is getting steeper every week. I, I honestly, I think we're in big trouble. It's rotten to the core, to be honest. It's not a good time to be a Sheffield United fan. 2-1 defeat away at Viggen. Connor, uh, Viggen? Viggen, Viggen. <laughs> I don't know. Where's Viggen. that come I'm from? Tight. The biggest guess. Oh, morning, mate. All right. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Joseph Hadfield. Oh, goodness me. So Brasilia. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Chapman. Oh, wow. It was... Awful. Connor Thorpe. It was a, an absolutely massive win. Cardinal Reddit. Cardinal Reddit. Can't believe I've just said. We are still Sheffield Hallam's number one football show. This is Football Forum. Thursdays from 5:15. Only on Shoe Radio. Yeah, not bad that, isn't it? Although it won't be at 11.30. But never mind. Uh, So, as we say, that's still to come next week. And we have got our predictions now, unpredictable, but we're dropping the the music because it was so cheesy. But um, let's have a look at where we were last week in the table because, well, I can't believe this. Chappers didn't win. He still got double figures, but you won. Excellent. 12 points. Finally. Although... We did have a seven-game week last week because we had the Man City predictions as well. Uh, and I lost again. So I don't know what's going on, but we now have a brand-new leader, and it is you. You're winning. Excellent. By a point. Uh, Chappers has got 250. Uh, I'm on 282, and Connor's on 283. Yeah, Connor got 12. Chappers got 10. I got 6. Um, but no, in fact, none of us last week, I think I'm right in saying, none of us got exact results. No, we didn't, in fact. Everyone just got two pointers, but that's where we are. We're going to move on to round number 41. We've done United on Wednesday. We're going to start with Friday night football under the lights at uh, at the iPro at Pride Park in the Championship. Derby in 13th against Fulham in third. Danny, what are you saying? I've gone for a 1-1. I You're think going it's kind of those, one. one of those games where you can't look at the, you know, people tend to look at the positions of both teams and think, you know, a way win banker. But Derby, decent team in front of the lights, like you say, in front of the home crowd. Uh, I think Fulham might come away from that as well, thinking that's a decent point. So, yeah, I'll go with that 1-1. One, one. You're going for a 1-1. One, one. Uh, Connor, what are you saying? I think in terms of predictions, this is probably as tough as it's going to get this weekend. <laughs> uh, both teams, winless in two. Derby have obviously improved recently um, since Wayne Rooney's come in and they've been on a fantastic run particularly at home um, having said that Fulham tend to fare well away from home um, and they, they did lose 3-0 at home to Barnsley last week so they'll come out like a wounded animal and I fancy them to win 3-1 3-1 Fulham yeah. that's uh, it's a that, bold one that's but... bold yes <laughs> um, and that's why these fixtures are unpredictable um, me on the other hand I'm going I'm going 1-1 primarily because I think because Fulham had that bad result, I think it's like pretty much it's going to be a hangover from la- from last weekend. So I'm saying a one-one. And if you notice the uh, the Sky Friday night fixtures, because that was tempting, uh, they tend to be quite uh, quite heavy draws, shall we say? Because we had a four-four last week. 
That I was, don't think it'll be that heavy again. That was the worst 4-4 draw I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we got a whole, through a whole show without mentioning that. But yeah, I'm saying 1-1. One, one. Uh, Friday 7.45. Connor, you've got the Skybet odds this week. Uh, I don't, actually. I've got the Bet365. You've got the Bet. Oh, right. We're and also, I'm changing it. We're going decimals because I think decimals, decimal odds are better, in my opinion. So, well, I don't bet, so I'm... I'm yeah, so Derby, relying on you. Derby 2.87, Fulham 2.45, and the draw is 3.4. So Fulham slight favourites. Fulham slight favourites. That means absolute nothing Except to for me. The, for the old boys in the room, what's that in the <laughs> infractions? Can you work it out? Or? I'll, I'll have to no change pressure. it. I'll have to change it on the app and it's... Let's just, just, never just, mind. Tweet, just tweet them later. Let's just move on. <laughs> so, right, fair Basically, enough. if you put... Right, 2.45, if you put one pound on... That's Get 2.45 two. back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. It still means nothing to me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. Saturday lunchtime fixture. This is, I think this is BT's, isn't it? Yeah. Chelsea Spurs. This is, this is as you say, this is a huge weekend because it's fourth against fifth. Uh, Chelsea against Spurs. 12.30 kickoff. Danny, what are you going for? Can they both lose? <laughs> Ideally, <laughs> yes. But um, I don't think that's possible. No, uh, I I would back Chelsea at home. You're going to back yeah. Chelsea. Uh, narrow two-one win. Two-two-one. Go yeah. Uh, that's the thing. I ideally, the, what's the worst result for United? Uh, which is probably a nil-nil draw, isn't it? That's probably the best result, isn't it? To get for them to draw. <sighs> I think that's probably the best result for United. It depends which way you look. Actually, no, it's the Spurs because we've got Spurs soon. So yeah. And actually, I'm going to back Chelsea. I'm only going to say a 1-0, but I'm going to back Chelsea just because I think Spurs, well, as we say, no Kane, no Son. They're depending on Mora, and I think they're going to struggle. So a 1-0 for me, Connor. Uh, I've gone 0-0. Oh, dear. Chelsea are four without a win. They're in a bit of a rut. Uh, Although they they didn't play that badly against Man United. Uh, They were quite unlucky in some ways. Uh, But Spurs, I think they... Chelsea have struggled at home recently, especially scoring goals and Spurs. I can't see them really scoring with the options they've got up front, so I'm going for a very disappointing and anti-climax of a nil-nil. Oh, dear me. Uh, so a nil-nil there. The uh, the silly odds. The great odds. Uh, Chelsea, <laughs> 1.72. Uh, the draw is 4 and Spurs, 4.5. <laughs> the draw four. is 4. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's, fair enough. It's quite... Lump on that. Yeah, I think that's that's, that, that's forty quid back if you put a tenner yeah. on. Yeah, that's to be fair. You might as well have a go with that. Yeah. Uh, right, moving. So that on. means that means three to three one. Three to I one. Think. Yeah. Three to one. Right, there you go. Uh, we're working it out anyway. Um, right, and then Sky have their Saturday night football, and it's only Leicester in third against Man City in second. But let's be fair, City. What are they? Well, if this ban is uh, is upheld. What are they really playing for? But never mind. Uh, Danny, what are we going for? I've gone for a 1-0 City win. I think they're getting away away win. Away win for City. Mm, Tempting, because Leicester have been on a bit of a poor run. I'm going to back City. I'm going to back City, because let's be fair, Leicester, they lost 4-0 at home to Liverpool on Boxing Day. I'm saying Man City. I'm going to say 2 I'm going to say 2-1. 2-1 to City. Uh, Connor, what about yourself? I'm also saying 2-1. Some a, f- a few stats for you. Leicester, three games without a win. Uh, in the in five of the last six games between Leicester and Man City, there's been more than 2.5 goals. And in five of the last games bet- uh, between them, there's been uh, both teams have scored. So, 
if you want to lump on that, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be my tip. Uh, right. The odds are 4.5 for a Leicester win, 4.2 for the draw, and 1.7 for Manchester City. Fair enough. And we finish up with another big fixture, in fact, because it's ninth against tenth. It's Arsenal at the Emirates in tenth against Everton. Uh, it says 4:30 on Sky on Sunday. Danny, can you call this one? Probably not. <laughs> Uh, I've gone 2-0 two nil, two nil to the Arsenal. 2-0 to the As Arsenal. As song almost goes. <laughs> um, this, this fixture always sticks in my mind because this was the... Fi- and I know we've not mentioned him for a while, but this was the fixture when Aaron Ramsey scored his hat-trick because it was the same night that Wolves played United and I was trying to watch at 5.30 on the Saturday and I was trying to watch both games at the same time and it didn't work. But uh, yeah, February the 3rd, that'll always stick in my mind. But for me... I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna agree with Danny. I'm gonna go two 0 to Arsenal because I just think now that Lacazette's found his goal scoring again, Arsenal is starting to click again a bit more. So I'm gonna say two 0 Connor. Uh, I'm gonna say one one. It's a tough one, really. Arsenal have gone nine games without defeat. Everton a bit resurgent under Carlo Ancelotti recently. They're five games without a defeat. So I think it will be one all for the odds. Arsenal are two. Uh, Ever- uh, the draw is 3.6 and the Everton win is 3.7 Arsenal are 2 what does that mean it means if you put evens? one pound on you get to, it's just over evens yeah evens would be one. hang on no you're right you're right it's yeah. even so one to one yeah, right this yeah. is just so I can't wait till Chappers is back so we can have proper <laughs> odds next week right pub quiz time uh, this is the championship team that's got relegated to league one with the most points yes any guesses? What season was it? Will that give it away? Does Danny have any idea? No. <laughs> In a word. Right. In a it, word, no. It, it was after 2010. After 2010. Right. Oh, let me think. Um, I fit, does, it invo- does it involve Barnsley? Barnsley were in the relegation battle that season. Right. Ooh. QPR. No, QPR haven't been no. down. Um, that's wrong. Not for a while. Off. I'm thinking it's one of these teams that I'm. Th- there's what uh, three teams on my mind: Blackpool, no, Portsmouth, no, or Sunderland, no. That's three straight off the bat. Incorrect. Right, I'm out. Well, I'll give you a clue. It was in the 12-13 season. That still makes it's nothing. When the league was so tight, what a season. Um, um, you boys were still in League One then. That's yeah, it. thanks for that. <laughs> and we um, lost to Yeovil. That's that. Oh dear me. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you one final clue. Go on. It was Barnsley who stayed up because Palace scored a last-minute goal against this team to relegate them. So who was in League One in 13, when we 13-14, basically? Bristol City. Uh, no. They finished bottom that season, I think. Memory serves me correctly. Oh, goodness. Um... I really do Right, I'll know. tell you, it's going on too long Go now. On. You've, you've had your time. Peterborough. Peterborough United. 54 points, which is unbelievable. That's ridiculous. 54? 54. Do you know, like, the bottom three? What did they finish on? I I don't know the other two, but but, um, 54 points. I mean, they all say 50 is the magic magic number. I think the average in the last few years has been 44, something like that. 54, and you're still going down. That's utter, And I think Hull went up with about 81 points, something like that, so... Yeah, very tight season. So that, that's unbelievable. But well, there you are. There's your answer. No one gets it this week. Uh, Peterborough United is your answer. 
uh, with 54 points. Now, that's about it uh, from Football Forum this afternoon. Huge thank you to Danny uh, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to, great to have you uh, back in your old stomping ground. And uh, <laughs> Good to be back. We can, I think we can say that you will be coming back for the United season review absolutely, at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so more Danny Hall to look forward to. And uh, we are back next Wednesday, as, uh, as the advert said. We're back 11 o'clock, 26th of February. And it's very strange for us because we've got two guests in one show. Look at us. Yeah. Making we're, waves. We're joined by Dave Beckett, who's known for voicing a lot of pre- uh, EFL highlights and... Uh, the Premier League programmes and Chris Sharples, Bundesliga commentator, is also speaking to us. Um, so that's on Wednesday. Obviously, we're on Football Forum underscore on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Captivate, you know by now. But from all of us here on Football Forum, we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye bye. Shoe Radio. Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum.